Hello, and welcome to Homeless to Wholeness, a ministry of Gospel Rescue Mission. We're a team of Christ followers on a mission to help others find hope and restoration. Please listen in as we share the inspirational stories of individuals who overcame extreme challenges and found a new life in Christ, moving from homeless to homeless. So I'm here speaking to Natasha today. Hello. Hello. And if you guys are longtime listeners and you've heard our story on Pua, Natasha is the young lady that we spoke so highly of. <laughs> I'm also here with my co-host, Alyssa. Hello, Pascal and Natasha. How are you doing this week? I'm good. I'm good. Christian's out of town for work, and so it's just me and Isla hanging out. <laughs> so, Alyssa, question for you. Yes, sir. Have you ever had a moment in your life when you felt that God was moving in that particular moment? So I don't know about like in this moment, you know, but as I look back on things, I could absolutely see how God had his hand in everything down to the different jobs that I worked. Uh, a year before I started working here at Gospel Rescue Mission, I applied to work for Southwest Airlines as a flight attendant. Then I didn't hear anything. So then I was like, OK, so I started working at Gospel Rescue Mission. And then a year after my application about six months into working here, I got the call for an interview. And I went through the interview process. They flew me out to Dallas for the final interview. So it was like 60,000 people applied and then 10,000 people had a phone interview and then 500 people had in-person interviews for like 200 positions or something like that. So it's like I was on the track, you know, and I loved serving. I love service industry stuff. I feel like, you know, I'd be server in the air, you know, and just taking care of people. And so I had already been working here for six months. And I was like, Lord, if this is not for me, do not give me the option, please, because I don't know what you want me to do. I love DRM, but this would be really cool too. (laughs) And so after I prayed that prayer, I got the email that said, you know, thank you for your interest in Southwest, but we're going to go in a different route. And so I was like, okay, so I'm going to stick with Gospel Rescue Mission. So that was almost five years ago that that all happened. So in that moment, I can say that I cried out to God and I was like, I am not strong enough to know which answer is the right one. So please only give me one direction. Don't let me uh, need to make this choice. So I guess that would be my, my story. That's cool. When I first sat down with Natasha, which wasn't long ago. Yeah. And she first shared with me her story. I got that sense that I could see God's hand moving in her life, directing her path until she wound up at our doorstep. That was mm-hmm. so clear to me. And that's why I bring up that, that question to you. God just works in our lives in such amazing ways that's to let true. us know, one, that he's there, two, that he loves us, and three, that he has a plan for our life. And we have an eternal destiny with him. And there's so much comfort in that. Yeah. That even in our, our darkest days, even when things fall apart, God is in control. And there's so much joy in that. Yeah, absolutely. Natasha, mm-hmm. you are how many months clean and sober? Uh, 16. Yay! 16 months, yeah. <laughs> that is awesome. <clears throat> so the way today's interview kind of started out is we shot a commercial with Mary. Yeah. Mary was sharing her testimony. Powerful 
video. Yeah. If you haven't had a chance to see it, please mm-hmm. do so. It's on our YouTube, GRM Tucson. <laughs> so shout out there. And at the end of that clip, looking for guests that she could sit down and talk with. And it turned out that on that day, you just graduated from the program. Yeah. Like, that is awesome. Right. <laughs> our, our, yeah. We were so excited, so cool. excited for you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Because it was a struggle. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So what were some of the struggles that you encountered? Uh, I mean, first off, I mean, even I'm sure Alyssa can understand this, uh, just being a mom and mm-hmm. going through a program like this, it has its challenges, you know, just by yourself it has its challenges. But yeah, having a baby on, on board is definitely made it a little bit more tricky, you know, attending certain classes and uh, being late or tardy because, you know, you had to put them to sleep or daycare wasn't available. And so, you know, a few things, you know, little hurdles that I had to jump. Um, I'm really glad that Pooh is here, though, because he definitely made it a lot easier. Together, we double team it up, I guess, you mm-hmm. know, as to say, you know, if I was a single mom, I don't know how I would have, oh, I would have been at my wit's end like every other weekend. <laughs> so, yeah, I definitely. Yeah, I remember. Something happened very early on where he got pretty sick. Jonas got pretty sick. Oh, yeah, he did. Uh, when we first got here, uh, he uh, ended up with the rhinovirus, I think they called it. Um, he was in the ICU for a week. Um, his oxygen was low. I was I was at my wit's end with that. Yeah, I, was, I never left his bedside. I didn't go anywhere. I didn't leave the room. And just watching my poor baby hooked yeah. up to all those tubes and stuff, like, it was, that was very scary. But, uh, yeah, um, that was pretty hard. But me and Pooh got through it. We just stuck together. Uh, the doctors there were really on point with Jonas's health and stuff, so that really made a difference. So, yeah. Yeah. I always say that re- parenting is hard. Yeah. Recovery is hard. Right. Parenting in recovery is, <laughs> like, impossible. Exactly. So um, to be able to have a partner in yeah. that and you both get to go through recovery exactly. together so that Jonas has two healthy parents yes like that is the best gift you will really, ever be able to he give really him. is <laughs> he really is yeah he's my little godson that's yeah. what i tell people like without him uh, a lot of things wouldn't have been possible i mean you know with god there's all things are possible but he was definitely my little knight in shining armor yeah. my little angel from above mm-hmm. so yeah i'm very grateful for him you started in your addiction when you were young very young, yeah. Um, my family, all addicts, um, alcohol, uh, meth, everything in between, really. And uh, I was unattended as a child, you know. They weren't, like, bad people, um, like, you know, abusive or anything, but neglectful, you know. So that they weren't watching me, so I was drinking the foam from their beers and, like, you know, smoking roaches out of ashtrays. And they would have me light cigarettes for them off the stove and, you know, and that's where I, I think it all started. Um, I think maybe I would have been a little, maybe just smoking weed and cigarettes would have probably been where I would have went had I not gone to foster homes. But uh, when I had to go through foster care, that was pretty bad. Because you were in and out of the foster care system. Um, Yeah, from the age of nine until 12. And then uh, when I got back, uh, things were, you know, I tried to, uh, I guess, pretend like nothing happened, if only for my family's sake or for my mom's sake, really, you know, because if she would have known, she would have. It would have killed her, and she would have killed them. So, <laughs> yeah, my mom is my warrior. She fought a lot of my battles for me. So, you know, neglectful, sure, but she was still my mom. She still loved you. Yeah, exactly. I was her baby girl. So, you know, I'm the baby of the family. 
So as a 12-year-old, you felt like you needed to protect your mom and your family? Yeah, yeah, especially from everything that I went through. Um, It was uh, six different foster homes I was in. Each one was worse than the last. I was beat, mistreated, used, molested, and raped. And by the time I got to go home for good, I just felt out of place, you know, like, on the inside, I was, like, screaming, but on the outside, I, yeah, I just tried to pretend to be the same old me. So much pain. Yeah, you know, and like I said, my mom would have known any of that, and I never told her. And she had her own problems she was dealing with in and out of jail and probation, and she couldn't stick with probation and stop violating it, you know. And thinking back on it, um, it was hard to see her go through her own struggles, you know, and, like, that's something that, you know, you didn't look at as a kid. Why can't they get their stuff together, you know, take care of us, you know. And they were going through their own battles. Um, she had mental health issues and stuff that we wouldn't address. And I think that's where a lot of the addictions came from, her own pain and stuff. After the, I'm sure, the first foster home, she was probably really upset for losing her baby girl. So, you know, and I was glad that I was never awarded to the state. But at the same time, I wonder what would have happened had I been adopted out or something, you know. So, yeah. Now, you never really had an opportunity to process through any of that grief or that trauma that that you experienced. Right, yeah. You just kind of lived with it or hid it. Hid it, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Buried it deep down inside. Yeah, I felt like it was my own my own issues, and so, therefore, I, you know, they already had their own issues. I didn't need to add to them, especially with my mom. But that did something to you, too. Oh, yeah. By the time you were 18 and you were an adult yourself, yeah. that greatly impacted. Yeah, by the time I was 12, when I first got out, um, I had already had three suicide attempts. Um, I was addicted to pretty much everything I could get my hands on, um, drugs, alcohol, sex, porn, and even self-harm. I got addicted to. And uh, at that point, I kind of considered myself a functioning addict, I think is how they called it, you know, because, you know, it didn't really look like I was on drugs. If you look at me, it just looked like a typical 12-year-old, but having to be mature at that age and, yeah. So know, much innocence taken away yeah, from you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was hard. Um, I had a pretty distorted view of God at that point, too, you know, thinking... How could you let that happen to me? Yeah, how could you like not that, you know? have a distorted yeah. view? Absolutely. So, yeah, I was pretty heartbroken, you know, my own family and then God and just everything in between. And so alone. Yeah, definitely, yeah. And uh, I never knew my real dad, so it was just my mom and my stepdad for a while and uh, my big sister, Cassandra. Yeah, she was kind of like my second mom. <laughs> she took care of me when, you know, when she needed to. And when you came out on your own, you said you were uh, functioning addict yeah so you held down a job yeah yeah um you had your own place yeah by the time i was 17 i was still smoking weed and cigarettes and stuff you know and uh, i had i guess a sex addiction as well i didn't really address or didn't really think i had until i got here actually you know having sex with strange guys and popping more pills than i could count on a daily basis and uh i like a little bit wasn't enough for me i had to keep doing more and more and uh but uh, I worked a full-time job at that point, and uh, I was able to supply my habits. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was easy. Um, I could do—I did pretty much whatever I can get my hands on, like weed, pills. I did heroin once or twice, coke, alcohol, shrooms, and more pills. Really anything just to numb the pain of bad memories and current living conditions and just, you know. When did that start to change for you? 
Um, like, when did it get better? When or? did it start to get to the point where you were no longer functioning? Uh, well, I mean, holding down the job, uh, I think, kind of gave me a little sense of purpose. So I felt, you know, I guess a normal citizen just working day-old jobs, you know, and then when I go home, that's whatever I do behind my doors is whatever I do, you know, not your problem. But I, uh, a few more years had passed, I'm like 20, I think. Um, still working the same job, um, but this time I got a raise, I got a promotion and everything, so I became really addicted to cocaine, and that was only because I could afford it. More money, more problems. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, so um, it was uh, pretty bad. It was like eight balls and stuff. Every two days, line after line, and then I remember being up for like days at a time, and I would call them my red-eye moments because I was working the night shift, and was doing coke and you know pills and I uh it's it's not really funny if you hear it but I laugh because you would have to have been there but my perception of things was way off you know and uh I remember taking my sister and her son my baby nephew was three at the time to the store and I uh I pulled up to the parking like where the carts get parked and Mm -hmm. stuff the cart pulling and uh as uh I was pulling up the cart guy was pulling the carts away and to me, it looked like my truck was moving. Mm-hmm. And so I put my foot out to try to stop my truck from moving. And I was yelling at my sister. I'm like, the car's not stopping. And the car guy looked over at me. And my sister kind of looked at me, you know, kind of dumb, like, what's wrong with her? And I, <laughs> I don't know why I was laughing, but it was pretty sad. But I, uh, I felt really dumb. Uh, like the truck wasn't moving. I had my foot out. And I just felt bad for, you know, scaring my nephew like that. And my sister's like, you need to obviously get some sleep or something, and that happened quite a lot. So I think around that time is when I realized maybe I might have a little bit of a problem. I was humiliated for what I did, you know, and then, you know, my sister having to witness it. But feeling bad for myself, I continued with my addiction. Did anyone think that you were having a struggle with drugs and cocaine? I was was able to play it off a little bit, you know, because I, like I said, I worked the night shift and then I would do overtime. Mm. So, so you, you just played off yes, being right. tired. Yes, right. It's like, oh, I'm just tired. I was just like, you know, one of those days, you know, and so, yeah. And I think my sister knew, really. Like, my family was pretty on to me at some point, just never really confronted me about it. Mm-hmm. But through all of this, it, it wasn't just the drugs. Right. There was a, a certain amount of you were also experiencing yeah. is that true yeah and i didn't know i had a mental health issue until i got a little bit older um i suffer from bipolar depression uh, anxiety ptsd adhd and uh, schizophrenic ideations and i wouldn't learn that until a couple of years later and for those kind of things you need medication for i mean until you can learn to adapt to a lifestyle you know and then from there like, I'm already gradually gotten off a lot of medication that I'm supposed to be on, but I think also with the help of God makes a difference and in my life and realize things I don't really, I don't need to depend on stuff like that. To, but, uh, yeah, I struggled with a lot of depression. Um, like I said, I was suicidal. I uh, attempted it a few times. Well, I, I thank you for being so open with us about yeah. that struggle not a lot of people feel comfortable talking about yeah. because it is hidden. Right. But so many of us struggle. Yeah. You were talking earlier about what you experienced going through the foster care system. Yeah. I would imagine all that trauma yeah. leads to a certain amount of 
anxiety. Yeah, it does, and causes um, a lot more problems than you Absolutely. It really completely thought. changes your chemical makeup. Yeah. Trauma, 100%. Yeah, and being so young. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you don't allow yourself to process that, right. to speak to someone about it, yeah. to, to work through it, the PTSD, the anxiety, yeah. all, all that comes out of just that trauma. It was buried. It definitely did, yeah. Um, I felt so alone, too. Like, no one would understand or I'd be judged, so I wouldn't really come out with it, even though I was feeling signs of things like that, you know, I'm like, I, I know I need help, but, you know, I try to, like, remain strong and, like, I don't need help, I am fine, I can do this on my own, I've been doing it for years, you know. But when you did start to finally talk about it while you were here, mm-hmm. did you ever feel judged? No, not at all. No, um, I mean, the the Wellbeing Institute here is really wonderful um reggie before he left he was one of the best psych doctors i had ever met and he he made me feel so comfortable and like you know it was okay that i had those issues and it's okay that i needed to be on medication and you know he didn't i was so comfortable talking with him it was great and he got me on the right medication that was really a plus because i struggled yeah, with it's that always for, nice right yeah <laughs> when i struggled with that for years yeah oh so it's like yeah it was great um yeah even my coach and people here, you know, and like I said, just the word of God every day is a blessing as well, you know, because not a lot of people get that. And I think that's something that people, a lot of people are missing in their lives. Amen. But when you were going through that, mm-hmm. you didn't understand that, that you right. were seeking substances. Yeah. That to numb the pain, to self-medicate. Self-medicate, exactly. Yeah. I felt, uh, I guess it, it made me feel a little bit better or it just helped me suppress those feelings even more and continue going with my life because you know i'm like people don't care it's not going to matter it was in the past they're going to tell me you know to grow up or you know get a clue those are all lies yeah exactly lies from satan (laughs) right so you know and you can kind of tell when you talk to someone you can get a feel of how they'll treat you or something if you give them some information like that so yeah and that's kind of how my family was they were Loving but judgmental, mm-hmm. and they had their own issues, so well, they were projected onto part me. Of it. And, Absolutely, yeah. being scared of if you're exposing what right for you, like what are you going to expose in me? Exactly, yeah. So that was pretty hard, and it was just a struggle, even just watching them um, destroy their lives like that, you know. And uh, they would go to church um, every once in a while, I think, when they felt like it. And uh, I was only like, I think, fourteen. And uh, one of the pastors had asked me, I went with him one time, and he was like, uh, do you believe in God? And uh, sadly, I said no. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was just a kid. I didn't understand. And uh, his reply to me was that um, it's okay because he believes in you. Oh. And I thought that was, like, really wow. significant. Yeah, that's something I, I really held on to. I mean, I didn't continue going to church, but just having but that, that piece seed. of information. Yeah, Absolutely. just that little... So, yeah, that was really nice to hear. That's I thought awesome. that was what a good pastor, <laughs> right, yeah, exactly, yeah, what a good 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 comeback, so mm-hmm. yeah, and later you would learn that not only does he believe in you, right, he he's loves with you. me, yeah, yeah that he's too. with you exactly, he's got a plan for you, yes, he's going to walk you through this, right, yeah, we all have to uh go through our own struggles and take walk the walk, we have to do our own work, mhm, and that's uh you know something I think was hard to realize at that time, but you know, thinking back on all of it, yeah. Well, he was definitely where he was supposed to be in my life when, at the right time. So how long were you in your addiction, actively? Uh, from the age of 7 until 29. And that was a lot of 
everything, mainly pills was always my main thing. Um, and then it was, uh, it was meth for um, a year um, before we got here. And uh, yeah, and that was really only because I was abusing my Adderall and uh, the way it makes you feel. Mm-hmm. And uh, meth kind of felt the same way, but I didn't. I've never tried meth until then because my family, they would uh, hide it, sneak it around, and I hated that. Right. And I hated them for that. So I'm like, that's something I'm never going to do. I'm never going to do that drug. So, And alcohol was never my forte either. So, um, And that's what they were as alcoholics and meth addicts. And so it was kind of weird how I stayed away from what they did and mm-hmm. kind of found my own addiction. And I thought that was kind of, you know. Yeah. Can you share with me a little bit about um, what led you our doors but i guess the most important story i want to hear is how you met me and Pua. Pua. oh that's what i want to know too <laughs> um all right yeah uh let me see i have a few notes here so that way i don't give you too much information or leave things out <laughs> <laughs> um so like a pretty uh, uh you would have to understand a little bit of some of the details behind uh before I met Pua, because where, where we met and everything, so I think you would want to know this little bit of information. But um, I was 25. Um, I had finally had my own apartment and everything. Um, I had a little dog named Lainey. She was a little pug rat terrier, and she was my baby. <laughs> I loved that little girl. Um, and uh, my family, uh, I was missing them, and uh, I would have seen them around town if they were still there. I hadn't seen them, so I kind of figured they just went back up north, and that's where my grandma lives on the reservation, like the Indian reservation. And um, one night, uh, well, one day on my lunch break, I was getting a sandwich from Subway, which I never do because I don't, I didn't have the money. I was barely able to make, you know, ends meet with my apartment and all my bills and stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, my uh, one of my uncles, my my mom's youngest brother, uh, Steve, he approached me. And he said he'd been looking for me for years. And I was like, I told him, you know, I was like, I've been at the same job for nine years. And he knew where I was. It was literally across the street from Subway. Like, if he really wanted to find me, he knew where I was. Mm-hmm. And um, but the next words of what he told me, uh, they were the most haunting words I had ever heard. And he said to me that, um, he said that, that your mom's dead and that, um, that my uncle killed her. And uh, I was instantly in shock, I'm sure, but um, I replied with, I kind of figured, and I couldn't believe I said that, um, who says something like that after hearing news like that, you know. You're just in shock. I just, yeah, I just, exactly. And um, he started crying, and he hugged me. I told him I was sorry, you know, and uh, really, he should have been the one comforting me. (laughs) But, uh, you know, um, that that day uh, went by in a blur. I had nothing but those words just playing over in my head, and I remember I taking a bunch of pills and stuff and trying to drown it with alcohol, and I just refused to believe it, so I just went on about my life. Um, I was fine physically, but mentally I was just in so much pain. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that uh, I just found out I lost the number one person in my life that mattered most to me. Yeah. And I hadn't seen her in a while, and her being gone that long, you know, and she had already been gone for some time, or so they say. Um, her her body was never found. Um, she's till till this day only technically missing. And she, uh, yeah, she went missing on December twenty second, two thousand fifteen. It had been eight years, and still hard for me to believe and cope with. Absolutely. You know, yeah, and um, 
I went back to work. Um, I got more bad news. My my best friend uh, from childhood, she died of an asthma attack. And she was only 31. She was just a year older than me, or two years. She was pregnant, and she mm-hmm. left a son behind. And uh, hearing that, after just hearing my mom, um, I was I was just at my wit's end. Yeah. You know, I was depressed. I was in shock still. I was, you know, um, I was a mess. Mm-hmm. And um, so I just kind of, you know, I told my friend I was fine. Um, and then I uh, lost my apartment because the rent went up. And uh, I stayed with the friend, my work friend, for about six months. I was a... Uh, pretty bad in the drugs at that time. Um, I was hardly functioning. I wasn't eating. I wouldn't get up from bed, you know, and uh, she, uh, I overstayed my welcome and I uh, ended up having to go to, you know, broken motels for like 30 bucks a night mm-hmm. and uh, high and broke with no way out. I just decided that suicide was my best option. So I, uh, I planned it all out. Who would take care of my dog? Um, you know, what pills I would take, how long I would wait. And um, after I downed a bottle of uh, muscle relaxers called Baclavin, it was really strong. Uh, I knew they would do the job, though, so I uh, I took them and uh, started thinking no one would find me, so I drove to the hospital, and I kind of chickened out at the end, and uh, I pulled, I turned in a no-U-turn area, and a cop saw me. And he uh, pulled me over, yeah, and that's one of the little God intervened in my life kind of things. Um, he definitely was there at that time. I just, I'm just unaware of it. It's incredible. Oh my so, gosh. so when you say you chickened out, you you didn't want to go to the hospital. No, you wanted to be wanted left to, alone. Yeah, and I was like, no, I'm just going to go back and just, you know, continue with what my plan was to overdose. And and uh, he instantly, he was like, um, I turned. And he was like, what's wrong? You know, like, what did you, why did you t- turn right there? You know, it's mm-hmm. illegal. And I was like, I'm suicidal. That's all I said to him. He was like, oh, that's okay. He's like, let's, we'll go back to the hospital right now. I'll escort you. And uh, yeah, and I mean, little did he know, he was probably, God just saved her life. But little did he know, I had already taken all the pills. Oh. And, you know, but I thanked him. He watched me walk inside and um, I thanked him and everything. And um, from there, I, uh, they took me to the hospital, and they thought maybe uh, I had already been there a few times, so maybe it was just another, oh, she's just feeling, you know, suicidal, oh. kind of like things, you know, so it wasn't that big of a deal. I didn't tell them what I took or anything. Yeah. And before they, as they were taking me to the back, I was already spinning, and I was dizzy, and they kept asking me what I took, what I took, and that's really all I can remember. Um, and I remember them saying my name. I was fighting them, and then I just stopped, and... I uh, I woke up here in Tucson in the ICU a week later. Um, it was a uh, I was medevac from Servista, obviously. Um, I felt stupid. Um, I regretted my decision, and I started crying with the ICU nurse and everything. And it was just it was crazy. I was I was lost. I was broken, and I uh, I was kind of disappointed too that I didn't go because I wanted to see my mom and broke again. I figured, mm-hmm. you know, that was the way to see them. I got out of the ICU. I went to a psychiatric hospital for a month is where they sent me. And um, people don't really care there. Not like they care for you, but they don't get to the underlying issue. You mm-hmm. know, they just throw medication at you and just, oh, you're fine. 
So that's kind of how it went for a while. And my thoughts were, when I get out of there, I'm just going to do it again because this is miserable. I hate feeling this way. And um, I ended up going back to Sierra Vista with no way out. I took more pills and ended up back in the hospital. When I did, uh, this time around, it was different for one reason, and that reason was Pua. Uh, a tall, mysterious, kind, good-looking man. <laughs> You're like writing a novel yeah. here. <laughs> you know, and uh, he just, he was silly. Um, he kept looking at his hands, I remember, and it was just funny. He was just an odd one. And when he told me his name, I was like, you don't have to lie about your name, you know. You can just... <laughs> You don't have to make up names did here. Did he say his whole name? <laughs> yes, did he did, he? <laughs> yeah. And he was like, it's Pu'ale Aloha. And I'm like, okay, you don't have to be making up stories. Here. What's your real name, guy? You know? <laughs> so I thought that was pretty funny. Um, and uh, we hit it off. We didn't get together until about a month later. Um, one of the girls there, she let us stay at her house. And she had a really nice big house out in Hereford. And uh, that's where we ended up meeting. And, you know, eventually things, you know, kind of sparked between us. And, uh we uh, hit it off, and yeah, things were great. And uh, about not even a month later, uh, I got pregnant um, <laughs> with Jonas, and uh, I couldn't believe it, you know. Uh, but you know, thank God, everything was you know like okay, and like I felt good with Pua, and I wasn't on that many drugs, and. I was afraid, though, that maybe I'd, you know, hurt baby or mm-hmm. something because I was still taking, mm-hmm. like, medication prescribed and everything. But um, everything was fine, you know, and uh, I was uh, completely clean for, you know, the whole year. No no and drugs, no... You have to tell me about how Pua felt when he heard the news. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's the great news, you know, yeah. Um, well, I was... Uh, it was at the hospital. Um, they did a urine sample, I think, or a blood test and something. And the nurse kind of comes in and she sneaks down beside my bed, which I thought was weird. And I'm like, so what's going on? She was like, and she whispers it to me. She's like, pregnant. And I'm like, what? I was like, no, I can't be, you know. And <laughs> I thought it was crazy. Um, I was just getting a med check, so you have to stay at the hospital sometimes. So I was going back up to the psych ward just to get my meds drained out. Uh-huh. And uh, I found out I was pregnant so I was like you know and I went up there and I called Pua and I'm like so I have some news for you you need to come see me tomorrow like as soon as possible as soon as the visiting hours you know and he was like okay what's wrong and I was like just you gotta come (laughs) you know and um the moment he got there and everything I just started crying and like dove into his arms and he was like what's wrong I was like we're having a baby and he was like he was so ecstatic he just you know kind of held me just looked Mm -hmm. at me with his face like (gasps) (laughs) and i'm like you know and uh we sat there and played some cards and he was like so what are we gonna name the baby and i'm like you know that's the first thing he thought it was so cute that is sweet and i'm like i like styles you know i was like that's that that's what i want my son's name to be but he was like no i I don't think that should be his first name (laughs) (laughs) so he was like i really like the name jonas i was like oh my god that's our son's name and like Right then and there, like, we knew. I just had this feeling. He was a big boy. His name was going to be Jonas. And, like, it was it was a beautiful moment. It was really cool. But and, Styles is his middle name, right? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So, it's Jonas Styles. Yeah. And then, sure, poor sure, guy. Sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> poor guy. He's going to be he's gonna be picked up. Hopefully, he doesn't have a list. Yes, I list, know. Right? Yes, he does. does with he his S's. <laughs> yes. It's sad. <laughs> poor baby, please. And stuff like that. So, yeah. Um. When I was pregnant, though, uh, things were amazing. He was so attentive, and just he would rub my feet, and 
he would, you know, take care of my belly. He was just, yeah, I fell more and more in love with him every day. Just, and then the love of Jonas, like, I was very happy when I was pregnant. It was amazing. And I was clean for the first time in my life, you know? Yeah. And like, it just felt wonderful. It was really cool. That was a very good point in your life. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) And I was sharing it with Natasha that, um, these two as parents, they're just amazing. Oh my gosh, they're so incredible. Yeah. Like, yeah. so much growth has happened in the mm-hmm. last year. I I met Pua, I was still on maternity leave, <laughs> and I met him, and he had mm-hmm. just switched from workforce development to um, recovery, and Jackie and Marissa, at the time they were in the children's room, and they're so excited, just mm-hmm. like, yeah, he's going to do recovery, we can't mm-hmm. wait. And then... Um, a couple months later, yeah. Um, well, I, well, I know I knew I heard about you, Natasha, and and you know, Pooh was just like, okay, we got to get Jonas's mom here. You know, yeah. praying for. Her. I think you might have come and then you left. Um, no, I was in the uh, hospital. At the hospital, yeah. okay. So he's like, okay, we should get out of the hospital. She's gonna come. So okay, so we're praying, and so then the day came, and and Natasha showed up, and it was just like, like this reunion, and you could just. Like, pretty much see into the future. You know, like, Mm -hmm. these two are going to work the program individually but together, and they're going to raise their child. Yeah. And they get to have their kid here to experience it all. Yeah. You know, I've always advocated for kids to be here with their parents because they've seen them at their worst. Right. So the kids deserve to see their parents work to be at their best. Yeah. And I'm glad Jonas was young enough to not, you know, have to really witness things that, you know. But things were <clears throat> got kind of bad between me and Pua before we were here. Um, that's kind of what uh, ended up leading me to the hospital. Um, he... but, but the thing about Jonas and, you know, being young, yeah. the, the thing he's never been, he's, he's never been unloved. 100%. You've always yeah. been there for yeah, him. Yeah, he's, he's a very loving yes, little boy. 100%. I, I would even have to say, that. just, I mean, not even as his mommy, just as a, just, you know. But somebody walks by and just see he's a very loving little boy. But you loved him. Yeah. He was never neglected. Right. You took your childhood and gave him the exact yeah. opposite right. of it. Right. Definitely. And that was my dream. That's my mm-hmm. plan. When he was in my belly, it's what I would tell him. I'm like, you know, you're going to have the most love. You're going to be. He does. <laughs> yeah. He's easy to he's love. silly. And you're committed to that? Yeah. And Pooh is committed yep. to that? Yeah. And you two together? Make it's a great. fabulous mm-hmm. team. Yeah, we do. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to continue with your story. Okay. Um, <laughs> which shape? How you came here. Okay. Like, yeah. Um, like I said, uh, we ended up, uh, I ended up, uh, I, he was about two weeks old, Jonas. He was born. Um, I had to get back on my psych meds, my normal meds, because uh, I wasn't taking them when I was pregnant. Just mm-hmm. uh, one that was called Latuta, and it was just had no fetal harm effect. So mm-hmm. they put me on that just temporarily. And, uh, I mean, I was so happy with my pregnancy that my depression, everything was, wow. like, not even there is how I felt. You know, I didn't even feel like I had mental health issues. That's awesome. Yeah, it was great. Opposite like, for yeah, me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> poor thing. So yeah, I'm glad you had a good one. And, you know, and my uh, morning sickness was timed. It was at 7 o'clock at night every night. It was timed. So I knew to be by the toilet at the oh 7 o'clock goodness. at night every night. I'm what like, and what to boy. eat before then? <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, my pregnancy was just amazing. I Yeah. Um, but anyway, he was uh, he was about two weeks old. I got back on my medication, my normal 
And the, they're pretty strong, and I hadn't had them for so long that mm-hmm. my doctor just put me right back on a normal dose. And in hindsight, I think maybe that was a really bad decision. She should have started me low, and, you know, mm-hmm. and um, he was uh, crying in his bassinet, you know, across from the bed, and I had to have a cesarean, so I was still, like, kind of on bed rest. And um, I walked over to, you know, not I, it was kind of felt bad already. I'm like, how long has he been crying? Because I was sleeping, and I was mm-hmm. like, oh, my God, he's probably been crying for, like, longer than I knew, and... You know, and so I, you know, grabbed him, made a bottle, you know, changed him and stuff. And I wanted to lay down. So I was just like, you know, maybe I'll just feed him in my arms. And they tell you not to do those things, you know, um, as a first time parent. And uh, I did. And I'd already had my meds and we were only sleeping on a mattress, like on the floor, you know. Mm -hmm. So it's like, like, I don't know, a foot. Mm -hmm. And um, I passed out feeding him and um, I woke up and he was on the floor. And I felt so bad i i felt like i was the worst mother in the world and you know and like things like that happen i get that but i just i felt so bad about myself how could i let that happen to my baby you know and uh so i was mad and i was like you know i'm not going to take my meds i'm I'm done with them you know i can't believe that i have that happened and so i just felt really bad as a mother and um you know, as new parents, you're just kind of trying to get the groove and everything, you know. Mm-hmm. And I told him what was happening, and he was like, you can't get off your meds. It's not healthy. and It's okay, you know, the baby's fine, nothing happened. And I'm like, but you don't understand, you know. I'm like, I don't know if you've ever experienced anything like Girl, that. Girl, <laughs> have I? Yeah. I was like a year old, I've yeah. experienced it at least every other month. Yeah, right? Yes. Like, it, you just feel terrible. Like, you let them down, or you mm-hmm. just didn't protect them. And so, and being a new mom, and your hormones are out of whack and stuff, and... um yeah, so uh, I still stuck with my plan that I wasn't going to take him anymore, and I started abusing um, Adderall to stay up and be alert for Jonas instead of sleeping, you know, or the passing exact out. Opposite. Exactly, yeah. And that's where I felt, you know, and I already have an addictive personality, so I was already, you know, probably taking more than I should have, like on a normal basis, and I was stealing them from the people we were staying with at the time because mm-hmm. I didn't have them. And uh, she ran out, and uh, I knew Pet who had his uh, meth paraphernalia under the uh, bathroom sink, because I've seen it. But I didn't say anything about it. I just, you know, went on about my life about it. And uh, I found it, took a hit, realized it made me feel just like Adderall did. And uh, from there, I was hooked on meth, and I'd ask who if we could do it together, you know. as you know, But I was so, like, finicky about it, and, like, I would only do it once. And that was when the baby was sleeping, and then I would go and shower and, like, scrub everything and change my clothes Mm -hmm. and just because I'm like it could be on me or something you know I don't want it to get on the baby so I was really abnuted about that you know I wasn't Mm -hmm. like doing it next to the baby or doing it when he's just you know crying in his crib like I was still determined to try to be a good mom even if I was you know doing drugs and um so we kind of got out of hand for a while on me and Pua um like I said everything was about Jonas though Mm -hmm. it was always about Jonas and and that sense, Pua kind of got left in the back burner, you know, yeah. in my world, and that can happen too, you know. And well, I wasn't well, that being, happens yeah. to parents, right? Yeah. You know, and that's, <laughs> when when that's there's a new hard. child, yeah, it is, that's yeah. Hard it's like because you want to give attention to need, both, yeah. And, and then when you've got a dog involved, no. <laughs> right? Yes, exactly. So yeah, so um, you know, things kind of got a little argumentative with us every now and again, especially being on drugs, and um, he uh. Ended up having to leave there. We decided to go um, stay with his uh, friend Monica, and we were still doing math and stuff. And uh, we were arguing a lot, and I had a warrant for my arrest. Um, 
I knew about it. I had it for two years. Pua knew about it. And we were arguing one day, and I was like, you know what? I don't want to argue in front of Jonas. I'm leaving. I'm going to go stroll blazing with him, which is when I put on my rollerblades and push him in the stroller. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm leaving. We're going to go stroll blazing. So, you know, I was going around, and I guess Pua had enough, and he called the cops. And uh, in that split second, I guess you forgot I had a warrant. So the squad cars pulled up in front of me, and they were like, um, and I instantly knew, and I'm like, oh, my God, no, you know, and... And they were really nice. They were like, you can walk the baby back up to the house, you know, give him to his dad and let him take him inside so that way he doesn't need to see you get cuffed or put in the car. And I'm like, thank you. Like, that's that's really that's nice because, yeah. you know, I had to see that with my family, and I did not like seeing that. So I was There's another divine, inter- you know, mm-hmm. God put that yeah. officer there. It sounds like cops right. are the ones that's got your back. <laughs> they really did. They really did. And I knew a lot of them as a kid, you know. I was always like that. I was very friendly with them. And ironically, I want to be an EMT, you know, Mm -hmm. I want to be in that kind of service. But uh, I went to jail for a night. Um, My my cellmate or whatever you call them, she was, uh, I guess, on fentanyl or whatever you call it. I didn't know really, and I've never really experienced anybody being on it near me, and she was crazy. She scared me into, like, rubbing her back because I didn't want to get beat up or something. She was Mm -hmm. like, come down here, rub my back. And, like, she kept screaming, and I'm like, okay. You know, so it was just a weird experience. They took my ponytail. They put me in this funky suit. And, mm-hmm. like, it was just a horrible night. And I was just so mad at Pua. And yeah. I had gotten um, uh, extradited from uh, Sierra Vista to Bisbee because the holding cell in Sierra Vista was a book. Oh. So they had to send me to Bisbee, which is a 30-minute drive away. It's not bad. But walking was a very bad walk. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. I had no money, no nothing, no cell phone, no friends, no car, nothing when I got out the next morning. Cop let me go, gave me a court date, and her, the judge, and uh, I had to walk all the way from Bisbee back to Sierra Vista. Yeah, I, I can imagine doing that and on foot. There's oh. nothing there. It's desert. It is, and just windy road. Yeah. And just, yeah, so I, I took this walk, yes, and my... Anger for Pua just grew every step, you know, just so I'm like, I wait until I get there and just wait. And, you know, um, some weirdo stopped for me and wanted to give me a ride. And I'm like, I refused. I'm like, no, I, this doesn't look good. You don't fit the, you just, no. <laughs> so I, I kept walking, even though I got one ride offer. And uh, finally, I'd gotten to the river about six hours later. And I was about maybe still three, four miles out from where I needed to go. And I was exhausted, I was thirsty, I was sunburned, and just so mad at Pua, and like, you know. And these three ladies ended up picking me up. They looked like nice ladies, so I was like, I'm going to get in that, I'm done, I need to ride, I do. And uh, when I got in the car, it was funny, they were like, so, who was it? Who put you in jail? And like, they knew, you know, like, they knew the walk and something, like, oh it, I thought it was ironic. Yeah, it was a thing that happened right. in Southeast Arizona. Right. I was like, wow, that's my Those first thought. I was like, go whoa. for women. <laughs> oh my just God. trucking along. So they were like, honey, we've been there and done that. And I'm like, okay, thanks. You know, so I felt so I hope much somewhere better. somewhere that those ladies are listening to this podcast. <laughs> so I thought funny. it was great. Yeah. It was, so they gave me a ride to Circle K and they gave me five bucks to get a drink and stuff, mm-hmm. gave me some cigarettes and, uh, they're like, honey, no matter what, just don't do nothing stupid because it's not worth it. And I'm like, yeah, you know, they were right, you know. And uh, there's God it, again. It's exactly, Jeez you know. And I'm That's out there so drinking cool. my soda and smoking a cigarette in front of Circle K, and I'm just, you know, just thinking. And the hospital is literally like right next door, like just a little 
walk that way, you know, and I was like, I should just go to the hospital then, you know, and get back on my meds because I was off of them. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I should do, you know, because I'm homicidal at Pua, like, mm-hmm. I want to kill him, but not really, but, you know, that's but how who I was knows feeling. At that exactly, point. you know, so, you know, who knows? And so I went to the hospital and, uh, you know, it was the uh, same old thing. They were trying to get me on the right medication. I was there for about a month. And I was missing Jonas so much. Yeah, like, I can't stress that enough. Like I was crying every night, and I talked to him. And uh, Pooh was getting kicked out, so he was going to be homeless. And uh, his friend was like, "You got to go, you know." And uh, I'm stuck in the hospital. I can't help him. And he was talking to me, and we were arguing on the phone, and it was just bad. And um, he tried to get like into some of the shelters in Sierra Vista, but they wouldn't accept him. And, I mean, single dad with a baby, mm-hmm. like, why not? You know, who knew it would be that hard? Right. But it is. They have, like, yeah, no— I think GRM's the only one They really were. Single they, dad. Salvation Army, I thought, was a good one, but they had no no beds available. They paid for, I think, like, a week at a motel for him. They gave him, like, oh, a voucher. Nice. Yeah, so that was, that was nice. At least he had somewhere to go. And uh, I ended up—they uh, sent me to another psych ward here um, to get— Things straightened out, and um, they sent me with my bag of pills in my property, in my hands, mm. which I think is kind of stupid. So, mm-hmm. And I had Valium in there. I knew I did, and I'm just like, I was full of anxiety, and I'm like, I'm just going to take a few of these. Well, they do account when you get there. They knew I took them. I was going to lie and say I didn't, and somehow I got court-ordered to stay at another facility here in Tucson. So I had to stay a month. That was the court-ordered, or else I would have left and been back to Jonas sooner, mm-hmm. Jonas and Pua, so... Um, in that process, Pua had no other way to go. So he was like, I'm going to go take Jonas back up to my mom's to Wisconsin. And I was so mad. I was like, you can't take my baby away. Like, that's my baby. Like, how am I going to make it there? You know? So I was pretty upset. It was hard to hear that. And, you know, but. Well, that's that's your whole world. right? Yeah, exactly. You know, it just came crashing down on me. And like, you're going to take my baby. Like, Mm -hmm. you can't do that. You know, so. And I would already missed him so much. Of course. So, yeah, um, he tried to go up there. He ended up making it to Chicago before his mom called and said, decided, no, you can't come. I don't want you to come. And he was already halfway there, I guess, you know. Way more than halfway. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, you know. And so, I mean, that's sad. And he had to make it back. Jonas on the bus. Oh, my gosh. And how old was Jonas at this point? He was barely a year, I think. Yeah, just a year old. Poor little guy. Oh, and and he was still sucking on a binky when I left. Mm. And you know, and still drinking milk from a bottle and all. Yeah. So I'm already gone for three months at this point, and um, he finally calls me yet again um, at the place, and I'm already kind of telling him, I'm like, I don't think we're gonna work out. <laughs> like, I'm mad at you. This is not good. We argued a lot, and you know, thinking back, it was just the drugs, obviously, course, and yeah. us being homeless and stuff. And he was like, No, but I found this great place. You have to come. And he was like, You have no idea. It's it's all going to be different. I promise you, everything will be different. And I'm like, that's not no, possible, what, what, right? Yeah. What, what are you talking one about? One place can make everything right, better. Exactly. No. I'm like, there's no way, you know. And I'm like, how's Jonas? Like, that's all I want to know. Is he, is he okay? And he's like, yeah, we have a bed, we have a home, we have somewhere to call home for a while, you know. And they feed us, and they have, you know. And I was like, all right, you know, as soon as my time's up here, you know, give me a bed, and I'll see. We'll see how this goes, and uh, yeah, it. Uh, let's see. I think it was about about a month 
well, like a half a month after that phone call that we had, and he told me that a, a girl named Barbie was going to be outside waiting for me, and uh, she would have a bed for me, and that not to worry about the line, because there's going to be a line, it's going to be intimidating. He said, I don't want you to worry, you know, and I was like, okay. And uh, would, when my month was up, I finally got to come to GRM. I was at the front gate, I got dropped off, and Somehow I was just like instantly overcome with this light. I kept telling Pascal and like it just like illuminated, you know, and I just felt all this worry and frustration and anger just wash away from me. Barbie has and, that effect on people. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, and I was as things could be different, you know, and, and then I saw Pooh and Jonas and my heart just sank and uh, I was so happy to see them and see how Pooh was doing his best, you know, to just be a good dad. And yes. he did all that for Jonas, you know, and he felt so bad for, you know, what he did. Well, and it wasn't his fault. It was my fault. I had a warrant, so I couldn't blame him. And that was just all in the past because, yeah, and I was so proud of him. The glad three past three months were behind me. And mm -hmm. God had told me right then and there, you know, that us together as a family was all that mattered anymore. And, you know, and I'll do whatever it takes so Jonas will never have to see us live that life and have to remember those kind of things, you know. Mm -hmm. And I was totally dedicated, and I can't thank GRM enough, you know, for bringing us together like that and making us whole again, you know, and just giving us that structure and that, you know, advice and God is what we needed. When you first came here. Mm -hmm. You know, we were all excited because yeah. we knew Pua. Yeah. Heard you really talked up a storm in. because every <laughs> single person knew my name when I came in. And I felt like I was like a movie star. Yeah. I was like, hi. So popular. Yes. They were like, you're Jonas's mom. But when I first met you, I, I was a little worried because of how on guard you were. Yeah. Because yeah. you, you were obviously happy to be here, obviously happy to be reunited. Right. But I can't imagine what, what you were going through because there had to be a certain amount of anxiety yeah definitely about not only this place but oh, yeah. about what Just, to expect exactly mm -hmm. like you know who are these people like what are they feeding him nonsense right. you know is this just another you know you got you go to bed for a little while and then off you go you know kind of thing and it wasn't it was totally i think it was just a miracle you know like really was be able to be just coming from broken like that and homeless with the baby with a baby mm -hmm. and to be able to just you know have somebody help you get the structure you need and the life gain the skills and stuff to re remain whole again i think that's really just it yeah. do you feel like you got to that place where you feel yeah whole definitely yes more than i can possibly imagine um what, what brought you to that place was it like, any one thing or was it? I think it just had to do, you know, a lot with the life skills that we're learning and God being, you know, going to chapel every morning is great. You know, that, as like I said, not a lot of people get that. And, you know, sometimes you forget his word and for it to be told to you again in the every day and to just, you know, like the structure, I can't, you know, stress that enough. You need structure. And, you know, me being a kid and, oh, geez, <laughs> growing up in foster care and stuff, you know, I had to be my own parent. And I lacked that a lot. And Pua had a hard time, you know, too, in his life and all the trauma he had to go through and endure. And you have to mature to 
a certain age and harden your heart at mm-hmm. those times. You Protect know? yourself. Yes, exactly. You know, and so I think we really lack structure and guidance and advice. And being new parents and being addicts, you know, um, it really just, it helps shape you to be whole. When you're so, here. what I remember when you came in mm-hmm. is you wore your hair back a mm-hmm. lot. And you walked in a way that was kind of like um, like shoulders forward. You were kind yeah. of hiding almost. Like you yeah. didn't want to be seen. Yeah, I did. And, uh, and that's kind of how you walked through the motions for probably three or four months, I think. Yeah. Um, and then one day you like were a butterfly. Mm. Your hair was down. You smell so good all the time. <laughs> and you just carry yourself with such pride. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like that shift in the way that you portrayed yourself came along the time where you accepted Christ. Yes. Yeah, definitely. So I wonder if that has any connection. It it does. I mean, you have a lot to play in that, too. So don't sell yourself short there, Alyssa, because (laughs) you telling us we're great parents, and a lot of people telling us that really feels good because, you know, I I think we felt like we let him down, the baby. But, yeah, accepting Jesus back into my life and um, thinking back on all those times, you know, where, like like Pascal said, Mm -hmm. a divine appointment, like we were meant to be there. I was meant to be his mommy. I was meant to be at those gates. We were meant to, you know, that cop was meant to pull me around and just things like that and how it just added up to us being here. I mean, this is, it's a forever family. really is. Um, Well, yeah, because mm -hmm. who's going to be working for me, so. (laughs) You know, and you just gained so much, and it's just fellow people who were at the same point you were and just growing with that and learning and yeah, just being involved in all this, you know, Christ-like centered stuff. It's just, it's amazing. Yeah. And when I got baptized, uh, that was really cool. I definitely felt washed of my yeah. sins. And, you know, because it's hard to forgive yourself when you're a parent. There's just a lot of things you're like, I can't, I can't take that back. I ruined the kid and now he's broken and, <laughs> you know. and Yes, I know. So, but they're oh so forgiving. They're so forgiving. Like they still love you unconditionally. Babies do, and so when, just like you loved your mom unconditionally. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, you know. And when I was baptized, I just felt all those sins and all that ungratefulness and just you know disappointment just wash over me. Do you feel yeah. like a new creation? I do. I really do. Yep. Transformed. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yep, that's definitely how I feel, and you know. And then having Pua and the baby just gives me more strength to stay solid and to be, you know, grounded and to be with God. Yeah, instead of using meth together, you guys are reading your Bible together. Exactly, you know, exactly. Full praying circle. at every Love it. <laughs> praying all the time. We even have Jonas praying. Yes. Apparently he prays oh, in Jonas class. is a great <laughs> prayer. It was adorable. He's great. <laughs> yeah, he says amen all the time now. Mm-hmm. It's adorable. He's just getting so big. Jonas is thriving. He really is. Thriving. <laughs> and... You guys have done everything to get him what he needs because he's not an easy kid no. by any means, and he needs some extra special attention. And yeah. and uh, you guys went with us, you know, yeah. on that journey uh, <laughs> as the children's services team. And it's not easy to have those types of conversations with parents, right. especially because there's so much guilt yeah. that surrounds it. But to have Marissa yeah, is... is. 
such a godsend yeah, because and Jackie before she left. And Jackie too. But Marissa's knowledge of the special needs. Yeah. Like I'm yeah. sure that that just made you feel so much more comfortable it did. and I mean, trusted us. Like where we know she knows what she's talking about. Right. I yeah. might not know what I'm talking about, <laughs> but she knows what she's talking about. Yeah. And and getting him what he needs. Yeah. He thrives and it gives you guys tools too right. to it be did. able to Yeah. I mean we've got to take those parenting classes yeah. and I have to admit, I was a little offended at first when of course. Marissa yeah. Swick, because I was like, what are you saying about my son? Yeah, of what course. What are you saying? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but she recommended the dynamite therapy, and um, yeah, we found out he's not on the spectrum, and we found out that he's just, you know, a little more advanced, so he just needs more, you know, structure, more mm-hmm. tools to, you know, keep him busy, to keep him from, and well, we learned a lot. That's why you've been emphasizing that structure. Yeah, okay. we yeah. learned a lot from that, and like the parenting classes and mm-hmm. stuff, mm-hmm. and how do you, how you keep things, you know, and yeah, we have, we can have to thank everybody for that, and it's like, what did they say? Um, it takes a village. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I guess if it takes a village to raise, raise a child, then it takes an army to come back from being an addict and to be... I always say it takes a, a village to raise a child, but it takes a church to raise it right. <laughs> there you go. I love oh that. yes, I love yeah. That. And we love our church. It's great, Nazarene. That's central awesome. Tucson. That yeah. You've always had that love. Yeah. For for Jonas, you yes. Know, the two of you together yeah. have always had that. But but now you also have a foundation in Christ. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now you have this army of people behind you <laughs> yeah, exactly. that'll walk alongside you yep. and say what help do you need yeah and they are too they're really there for you and you know and the coaches here they're just they're great um sherry was my coach uh and i'm gonna cry about it a little bit because i miss her so much oh <laughs> but uh because she's just she was an amazing woman she really helped me get over those hurdles and you know going through the genesis process it was very difficult and I would not have been able to get third if it wasn't for her because there was things in there that were hard to admit or yeah. hard to, you know. And she's just, she was great. She walked me through every bit of it and she walked me through it with Christ. And I think and that was the biggest part. what a difference that makes. Oh, it really did. You know, she explained a lot of the verses to me, things I didn't understand from the Bible. And I'm like, I should take a Bible class or something. But because I don't know how to read the Bible sometimes, like certain verses, I'm like, huh? <laughs> you know, but she yeah. walked me through it, and she really helped me. And um, as I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil for the hour with me. I thought that was a bad, like a bad thing, because you're walking through a valley of the shadow, and like you're walking through death. That sounds bad. But I didn't understand what the message was until she told me, when you're walking through that valley, is when he is with you the most. That's when he picks you up, and you know, as though you walk through that valley, he's still with you. And I thought that was amazing when she explained that to me. I was like, that's my life. Like, mm-hmm. that's how. Because he you is know, there. Yes, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Even though in those darkest times, like, you know, and that really was an eye opener. And that wasn't too long ago. And she explained that to me. That's and awesome. I thought that was great. And then Philippians 4.13, you know, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Those are my two favorite verses out of all of them. Yeah. That's so. great. <laughs> so one of the. Um, my favorite questions to ask toward the end is, um, what advice do you have to give someone who's out on the streets or still in the addiction or just needs help and doesn't know how to get it? Don't be afraid and don't give up hope because there's help out there. And, you know, even in, you're in your lowest points, there's still help out there. And I think 
the main thing is to just never never give up, you know, keep fighting that good fight because, you know, you wake up every day for a reason, you know. I mean, maybe you are on drugs and getting high or, you know, but there's still a purpose for you. There's still a reason why you you feed yourself and why mm-hmm. you walk that walk or why you, you know, regardless of drugs or alcohol or anything that you're into, you're still trying to make a difference in your life. You're still trying to overcome, you know, your brokenness. Yep. And, uh, yeah, you know, and maybe that makes you feel better, the drugs and the alcohol and things like that. And you just can't give up. I think that's the main thing. You have to have hope. Because true healing can be found. Yes, it really can. Mm-hmm. Yes. No matter what you are, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, there's always going to be hope. Anything to add? Uh, well, we started the conversation um, so sad and learning a lot about what your family had experienced. Yeah. And I'm sure if we go back generations, it's the same story yeah. back and back and back. But now we ended the story with that generational curse being right. broken. Yeah, definitely. And Jonas is going to have his hard times and any other children that you guys yeah. might have, they're going to have their hard times. But they never have to end up here. Right. And yes. Because you and Pua have broken that yeah. chain. Exactly. That thread that connected everyone, that is done and over right. with because you and Pua drew a line in the sand and said, no more. Yep. We will follow Jesus wholeheartedly mm-hmm. and we will raise our children to follow Jesus exactly. wholeheartedly. Yep. And if that is not a story of redemption mm-hmm. or a story of hope, like yeah. you're saying, then I don't know what is. <laughs> so thank you for sharing that, yeah. Natasha. Thank you, guys. Thank you for letting me share. It's been awesome. It's been wonderful. And I just love that I've been able to sit down both with you and both to hear your yeah. stories That's awesome. It's been an honor for me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Pascal. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you. If you would like to support our ministry, or if you know someone who needs help in the Tucson area, please give us a call at 520-740-1501 or visit us online at grmtucson.com. Thank you.